everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. So I had a friend recently ask me how I acquire my content for the Instagram page. She asked if I was taking screenshots, and I said yes and no. No, because watching it in its digital format doesn't allow for things such as screenshotting. It was something I didn't even consider and learned very quickly. I had reached out to a few other Little House on the Prairie fan pages on Instagram and asked them how they acquired their shots and some said they were taken from the internet and others said they were able to screenshot theirs from a DVD. So yes, they are screenshots because I am taking a shot of the screen. And dear listeners, some of you in certain age demographics know what I'm talking about when we would record our songs off the radio by holding up another separate device. So thanks to the combination of my phone and tablet, I am able to provide that Instagram content There is plenty of labor to do it, but there is love behind it. So special shout out to listeners who managed to find this podcast through that Instagram account. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not part one, and debuted on May 5th, 1980. The episode was written and directed by Michael Landon. We begin with Laura and Almanzo, Beth and Manley, at the shores of Lake Kezia, feeding the ducks. Almanzo is looking busy, looking lost in thought, distracted, and Laura is impatient, She was brought here on the pretense that Almanzo wanted to talk to her about something, and now he sits here in silence. When Laura calls him out on it, he responds that there's nothing wrong with being quiet, and sometimes it's hard saying things. That's when Laura responds with, you should write it down, and proceeds to legit pull out a tablet and pencil. Almanzo starts to scribe his thoughts onto the paper tablet until he stops when the pencil's point breaks. Dad, burn it. His words, not mine. Laura takes the tablet and begins to read, Dear Laura, I love you and I want to. There's a blank space there. It's like she's doing a prairie mad lib. When Laura looks up at Almanzo with a curious eyes and inquires, What is it you want to do? Manly states he wants to sharpen his pencil with the pin knife that's in his pocket. Laura's not buying it and calls him out. What is it you want to say? And I'm no lawyer, but is this leading a witness, if if not badgering a witness? Because in the next moment, what we get is a marriage proposal. No surprise. It's also not a surprise when she says yes. The whole scene by the shores of Lake Kezia is concluded with a lengthy, 
awkward kiss. She needs to go back and spend a little more time with the mirror. Cut to evening at Nellie's restaurant and hotel. Mr. Olson enters to help close up for the evening. Nellie is busy at the table reading a book of love stories. And Mr. Olson is counting up the receipts, which total a little over $13. However, there's only a dollar and some loose change in the cash box. Not looking away from her book, the people just refuse to pay. And according to Mr. Olson, the people refuse to eat too, I'm sure. While she claims she does the best she can when Caroline is not around, Mr. Olson heads to the kitchen to see an example of her best. In case you forgot, Nellie also doesn't like to do dishes, and even continues by exclaiming obviously her father doesn't know what she likes, and how she never wanted a hotel and restaurant. And when Mr. Olson throws Harriet under the bus wagon, claiming it was all her idea, Nellie protests that he could have stopped her. Uh, Mr. Olson's a little curious on how he would be able to do that. And Nellie, it's like she's been waiting for a moment like this all her life. When she tells her father he should stand up to her by being a man. Hashtag truth hurts. Mr. Olson then decides to step into this shade-throwing competition by telling Nellie she wouldn't need the hotel and restaurant to get a man if she acted more like a woman. Nellie, fully realizing the hotel and restaurant is essentially her dowry, leaves in a huff, passing by Harriet on her way out. Harriet, annoyed, approaches her husband, and Mr. Olson states how they are going to have to close the establishment down. It is not making a profit and she doesn't know how to manage the place. Or she refuses to manage the place. Harriet Olson, that's not happening. And states that she'll find someone who will help teach Nellie how to run her business. You know, the one she has stated she's never wanted. We cut to Plum Creek. There's a tasty supper on the table. Almanzo's there by Laura's side. And he is noticeably silent. Charles calls him out and wants to know what's up. Come on, out with it. Charles knows they have gathered for some special news. Laura made dinner and Caroline took the day off from Nellie's. Manly takes a deep breath and states he got a raise at work. P.S. Baby Grace is spoon feeding herself now. News of a raise gets Charles excited, and that's when Almanzo follows it up with, I want to marry your daughter. Charles smiles and admits that's not a surprise, but that smile fades when Almanzo states he wants to marry her next month. There's a nope from Charles, followed by the word 18, which is concluded with an invitation to Almanzo 
for a man-to-man talk outside by the barn. Outside, Charles lights up and takes a hit from his pipe as he starts to share his thoughts and feelings. And the age difference is not what is of major concern to Charles. He's gotten used to that. What he's more concerned about is how young Laura is and how she's still growing and changing. Charles admits he knows how much Laura loves Almanzo, but he wants her to be sure she wants to spend the rest of her life with him. You know, in good times and bad times, Charles states there's going to be plenty of bad times, He's concerned that right now, Laura's at that stage where everything in life is sunshine and rainbows. You know, a dolce vita. So, if she loves you now, she'll love you even more two years from now. Almanzo looks at Charles and states that he understands, but he does not agree. And to Charles, he doesn't care. It's still a no. And when asked if that's his final answer, Charles nods his head. That's when Almanzo announces he's heading home. Charles is a little surprised and said, what about dessert? And this is when Almanzo proves he has cojones. When he tells Charles he's not going back inside and pretending that he agrees with everything he says. I'm not going to make it easier on you. He claims he understands how Charles feels and then tells Charles, now it's time for you to understand how I feel. Almanzo might have been dreamy before, but now he is just sweet, sweet fantasy. And as Almanzo climbs into his wagon and heads home, I still have to wonder, how do these people drive their wagons at night? Hearing the sounds of the wagon leaving, Laura rushes outside, and for once, she doesn't bolt. As Charles heads back to the house, he informs Halfpipe he told Almanzo he had to wait to marry. And Laura proclaims, If waiting means I'm gonna lose him, I'm not waiting. And then she runs into the house. P.S. We find out in this moment Caroline knew all about this announcement earlier. And when Charles inquires to Caroline her feelings about this, there's nothing right or wrong about folks loving one another. And herself, she wants what's best for folks who love. In case it's not obvious, Caroline loves love. As she heads into the house to check up on Laura. Laura's up crying in her bed. And upon hugging her daughter, she assures her that things will be fine. Laura admits the two of them should have eloped. Pa will never change. And Caroline agrees. Your pa won't change. He'll always love you and he'll always want what's best for you. Laura admits she's a little fearful. She'll lose Almanzo by waiting these two years. But Caroline... Caroline's not buying it. So if he can't be with you now, his love is just gonna go away? I don't think so. She continues by saying you don't rush into marriage because you're afraid 
the other person's going to fall for someone else. You better be pretty sure your love is stronger than that. Of course, Laura claims their love is strong, at which Caroline responds, then nothing can tear you apart. Caroline continues by stating love can give Laura the strength to get through this. Even her father's love will help her. You've got your whole life to be in love and married. If he truly loves you, he's gonna wait. And in regards to Charles, Caroline states, your pa has loved you for 16 years. He's afraid to see you go. Wiping the tears from her eyes, Laura decides to head out and talk with Charles. Heading down the ladder, Laura inquires to Caroline if the decision was hers, would she let them marry? Caroline says yes, and as Laura smiles and continues to descend the ladder, Caroline also states she could have made them wait until she was 21. And instead of following Laura outside to talk to Charles, the camera stays on Caroline as she looks out that window in the loft as father and daughter converse and finally hug. Caroline smiles and proclaims the love she has for her two babies. Cut to Elmonzo driving his wagon over the Lake Kezia Bridge and bumping into Laura. Both share their intentions of wanting to talk to one another. Elmonzo begins by sharing that he went through all these formalities last night for Charles, but at the end of the day... It's now Laura's life and her choices to make. And shut the front door. Almonzo announces he's leaving the WG. And he wants Beth to come with him. No buts, no ifs, no waiting. It's your choice. And I have to say, Laura has been practicing running away since season one. She's so ready for this. Almonzo puts it very bluntly. It's your pa or me. And he demands an answer. And while Laura asks for some time, Manly is acting very unmanly when he states, I guess your pa is right. You're still just a little girl. And he leaves Laura crushed. Cut to Doc Baker arriving at the reconstruction site for the school for the blind. He's there to deliver a letter, which Charles then takes over to Adam. Him and Mary are out back, supplying food for the workers. Announcing the letter, Adam insists Charles to go ahead and read it, hoping for a check to pay for materials. And when Charles opens it and starts to look at it, Let's add another thing to Adam and Mary's list of woes. Adam's father has passed away. So it's a no on the check. Cut to engine three leaving Minnesota as a voiceover from Laura tells us that Adam and herself are heading to New York City to take care of Adam's father's estate as soon as possible, so hopefully the school can continue to be built. And wow, 
At the end of last season, Laura went to the West Coast, and here she is going to the East Coast. We cut to the office of a Mr. Carter. He's helping Adam close out his father's estate affairs. And the first thing of business is the debts. Apparently, Adam's father was an excellent lawyer, but a terrible businessman who 100% lived outside of his means. We're also told his place of residence is going to be auctioned off and will barely cover the cost of half of his debts. Adam delivers a less than thrilled thank you to Mr. Carter for his time. Meanwhile, back in Walnut Grove, a wagon pulls up in front of the mercantile and a young man with a curly head of hair and a bowler hat steps out of the wagon and up into the mercantile. And this is how we meet Percival Dalton. He's here in regard to the job of managing the hotel and restaurant. However, this exchange is done between Percival and Mr. Olson. And at that moment, the upstairs toilet begins to back up and water is pulling down the stairs as Harriet screams for help. Mr. Olson kindly excuses himself to go and rescue his wife. Cut to Nellie's kitchen where Caroline is busy at work. The door opens. Nellie is escorting a customer into the kitchen and assuring him, yes, Caroline is here and it's safe to order. As Caroline sets to making that new order, Harriet, Mr. Olson, and Percival Dalton step into the kitchen. And Percival is taken aback about how well Caroline is managing this kitchen. It's at this moment, Nellie finds out Percival is there to train her how to run her hotel and restaurant. Mr. Olson stays in the kitchen as Percival, Harriet, and Nellie head upstairs to look at the hotel aspect. And it's in this moment we find out through this conversation between Mr. Olson and Caroline that Laura and Adam are returning tomorrow and Charles is picking them up over in Sleepy Eye. We also find out Almanzo has been gone and nobody has heard from him. Before leaving Caroline to continue on with her work, Mr. Olson states Percival is Harriet's idea and he would rather shutter the entire business because knowing his daughter, he's pretty sure Nellie will frighten Mr. Dalton away in less than a day. Cut to engine three, bringing Laura and Adam back home. Laura purchases an egg salad sandwich and tries to get Adam to eat. Adam, not surprised, is upset about this entire situation. He even went ahead and wrote to all the children the school was reopening. Sitting next to him, Laura inquires, so you're just going to give up? And claims that they are going to find another way. Adam inquires how, and Laura states, I don't know of a way yet, but we won't find one by giving up. She continues, they found a big empty building in Walnut Grove, and Walnut Grove is not the only place to have big empty buildings. And speaking of empty, she hands Adam some of that sandwich and he begins to eat. 
And upon biting that sandwich, Adam states, I hate egg salad. Back in Walnut Grove, over at Nellie's, Percival Dalton is laying it out flat. According to the facts, the numbers, and customer feedback, Nellie, you in danger, girl. And states, Nellie's rude, she can't cook, and she keeps the rooms unkept. Harriet says, well, those are the minuses. What about the pluses? Percival states Nellie could learn all these skills, but it's going to take time, patience, and time to do it right. Oh, P.S. They're talking like Nellie's not sitting there at the table with them. Mr. Olson continues on with his idea of just shutting the restaurant down. However, Percival claims they can still pay for the place as she is learning. And that's when he suggests they hire Caroline and split the profits 50-50 and change the name of the establishment. Harriet's mouth drops. That woman's name on the window? Percival states he wants what's best for the business, but the name? There's too much stigma attached to the name. The business will still be Nellie's, but we just need to do some little rebranding on the prairie. It would only be temporary, and the only other option is to just close the place. This is the moment Nellie finally opens her mouth to ask if anyone wants to know what she feels. It's a no from everyone, but Harriet is the only one to say it out loud. Mr. Olson states Caroline will not make up her mind until she talks with Charles, who won't be back until the next day. So he makes plans to head out there at that time, and this is when he notices black smoke coming out of the kitchen. Cut to Charles picking up Adam and Laura, and we get a voiceover that tells us how Adam shares the bad news and Almanzo has not returned back to Walnut Grove. And it's at this moment they happen to drive past a large, empty building for rent. Laura tells Charles to stop, and she tells Adam about the building. It's like it's meant to be. It's an old courthouse building. The courthouse closed down? Mm. Laura jumps out of the wagon and heads into the building to investigate. And inside, there are cobwebs galore, and it's vacant. Laura looks around, envisioning the space being used for a school, and calls out to anyone. She gets no response. Laura eventually makes her way up onto the second floor, when out of the blue, a door opens up and a man rushes out and grabs her arm and claims she's on private property. Laura, using all the confidence she's gained since last episode, tells the man he should have removed the sign and locked the doors. She continues with her intentions. She wants to rent the building to make it a school for blind children. And this is how we meet Houston Lamb who's asking for $100 a month. And standing firmly, she tells him that's too much and no one's going to rent the property for that much. Houston states that's what he's asking for. And Laura turns on a dime and starts walking down the stairs. Houston, Lamb, then inquires how old Laura is. And she says, I'm 16. 
Houston Lamb replies, well, you seem like you're going on 17. Just kidding. He says, you seem older than that. And that's when he offers the building for rent for $50 a month. Plus, he gets to keep his room. Laura says 40 and a deal is made. Houston Lamb requests two months payment in advance and Laura states, you'll get your money after we clean the place up. She promises him they'll be back in a week and he'll have his money then. She smiles and leaves. Houston Lamb then refers to her as a feisty little thing, a plump, pure, perfect, feisty thing. His words, not mine. Outside, Laura shares the news of the deal she had no right to make, as well as Houston Lamb also being feisty. When asked who is Houston Lamb, Laura states, oh, he comes with the place. Charles then inquires how they're going to get $80. And Laura, looking at her dad, states, Well, it's like you always said, Pa, the Lord will provide. These two men are flabbergasted as Charles starts the wagon for the ride back to Walnut Grove. And when the wagon is out of scene, there's a crowd of men in the back. And stepping out from that crowd is Almanzo watching Beth right away. We're back at Plum Creek. Charles is crunching the numbers and states that with all the contributions and tuition for this school, it leaves them only $10 a month to operate. And just when all seems lost, that's when opportunity knocks at the door in the form of Mr. Olson. And he lays out Percival's proposal. And when Caroline states that she can't afford to spend three days away from home, Mr. Olson continues that there will be a 50-50 split of the profits. Caroline stops in her tracks. What? Mr. Olson hands over a piece of paper that has the numbers written down on it. And she looks at it and proceeds to grab her jacket and orders Mr. Olson to drive her down right now. Just kidding. She asks Charles to step outside with her for a moment so they can talk. Outside, Caroline shares that sheet of paper, and Charles delivers a land's sake, but follows up with, this is all speculation. However, Caroline admits Percival Dalton knows his business and proceeds to beg for this opportunity to help her family. But while Charles states this is only temporary, what's going to happen afterwards? Caroline shrugs her shoulders and states, I don't know. But as you said, the Lord will provide. Charles face palms without face palming and says he wished he had a family that stopped reminding him of what he says and together agree for Caroline to take the job. We cut to Caroline's restaurant and hotel, and in the kitchen, Percival is trying to teach Nellie how to separate the yolk from the egg white. In rebellion, Nellie picks up two eggs and smashes them together. Percival says, your father is paying me good money to teach you. At least you can make an attempt. Nellie, I didn't ask for help, and I didn't even ask for a restaurant. 
you're short. Seriously, that's her transition. Percival ignores this, and Nellie states, Could we do something else? Could we make a shortcake? Or short ribs? Oh, I know. We need shortening. Oh, I got one more. You should write a book. Shortcuts to cooking. That's when Percival inquires. Shall we try again? And that, that sets Nellie off. I hate cooking. I hate this place. I hate short people. You know, my mother gave me this place so I could get a husband. I don't even want a husband. Or this place. And I don't want to learn how to separate eggs. Nellie proceeds to take about a dozen eggs and smashes them into the bowl. Yolk, egg white, eggshell fly everywhere. Percival stands there silently and then proceeds to take that bowl and dump its contents all on top of Nellie's head. I also have a very short temper. And he proceeds to go off on Nellie and tells her that she has no business working with the public as well as she has no cooking ability. And lastly, he states, and as pretty as you are, you don't need a restaurant to get a husband, as he storms out of the kitchen, passing Caroline on the way out. Caroline makes her way to the kitchen and finds Nellie with egg on her head and a smile on her face. And when she proceeds to ask Nellie what happened, Nellie states, Something wonderful happened. He said I was pretty. For some reason, we get a shot of Willie running from the school to the outhouse, and then cut to inside the Olsen estate, where Harriet is talking down and over every time Percival Dalton tries to open his mouth. I hired you to teach Nellie, not give me advice. And Percival Dalton's short temper appears again in full force when he yells to Harriet, Will you be quiet? And Harriet has just met her kryptonite. And he states, You should just let Caroline run that establishment because your daughter has zero intentions of making a go for it. He makes his way to the door and opens it. And Nellie is standing there, still with egg on her face, head, and delivers an apology. Mr. Dalton, I'm sorry the way I acted. I don't want to be rude, and I'm deeply sorry. And, um, can I have another chance? And it is granted. Harriet and Nellie leave to go clean Nellie up before they get back to work. And Percival, looking at Mr. Olson, states, Maybe now we'll get some place. And bids a good day to Mr. Olson. And Mr. Olson looks like he just found his new hero. We find ourselves back at Plum Creek. It's late up in the loft, and Laura is finally getting her cry out. 
I wonder if Albert's trying to sleep. Caroline is there, doing what she can as a mother to comfort her daughter in this moment. Laura states, Almanzo's not back. He's not coming back. He doesn't love me. He never did in the first place. Caroline states how she didn't like Almanzo. He wasn't handsome. He's just awkward. And he's not even that bright. Laura immediately comes to his defense. He's just shy. That's what makes him awkward. And she also reminds her mother that, um, and you like men with dark hair. Caroline smiles, says guilty, and then points out how Laura is still crazy in love with Almanzo. You didn't hesitate, and you had plenty of reasons listed of why you still love him. Laura's attitude does a 180. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Just kidding. Actually, what Laura says is by far the most teenage thing she has ever said. I want to die. For real, 100% her words. Caroline says, if Almondo loves you, he'll be back. But in the meantime, life goes on. And she tells her daughter she needs to get busy with other things. The more you do, the less time you have to hurt. She continues, Mary and Adam are already going to need help cleaning that building you rented for them. You should go with them and spend two weeks in Sleepy Eye. She's already gone ahead and talked to Eliza Jane about Laura being gone for two weeks. Laura, who has a teaching certificate, smiles and says thank you for this opportunity and kisses her mom and says goodnight. Caroline heads downstairs where Charles is in the bed, smoking a pipe, which that's 100% a fire hazard. She informs Charles of the plan to send Laura with Mary and Adam to Sleepy Eye to help clean up the new school. From the bed, Charles claims he's happy they found out what kind of man Almanzo is. He continues by saying it's a good thing he doesn't know where Almanzo is, or else he would give him a good thrashing. And because Caroline is always two steps ahead of everyone else, that's when she announces Almanzo is in Sleepy Eye. He wrote a letter to his sister and told her not to tell Laura. Charles, you know he's in Sleepy Eye? And you're sending her to Sleepy Eye? Taking in a nice deep breath, Caroline turns to look at her husband and smiles as the scene fades to black. Although I was not able to find an answer, the thing that made me a little curious the most about this episode was the fact it debuted nearly two months after the previous episode. Sweet 16 could have been the season finale. Plenty of things happened in it to set up for the next season, but instead there was a two-month gap, which I guess is not unusual in this day and age. But let's go ahead and move on to reviewing and rating this episode. So the one thing left on my mind after the completion of this 
first part was as they were sitting around that dinner getting ready to make this announcement and Almanzo states that he had just got a raise following it up with how he needs to marry Laura quickly because he plans on moving away to find a different job I'm a little confused at that point however I also imagine if Almanzo had shared the news that he was planning to leave in a month, their man-to-man talk wouldn't have gone outside. It would have concluded itself right there at the table. And the following day, when he does finally make that announcement that he's planning on leaving, it just seems a little out of left field. I mean, that's something Almanzo could have chatted up about on that 12-mile ride with Laura, taking her to work. Also, with Almanzo leaving, is Eliza Jane taking care of everything at the Wilder estate and farm? Aside from that, this episode as a whole was pretty awesome. However, the drama between Laura, Charles, and Almanzo is only slightly keeping my attention when for the first time since it happened, we get an update on the School for the Blind's reconstruction, which then propels us into the next big drama in Adam and Mary Kendall's life of finding a new place, relocating there, and finding a method of paying for it. And while Laura scores a free trip to New York City, this time traveling in the passenger car instead of in the box car, fearful a man's going to throw you out. And you can still tell Laura's a country girl. In regards to her trip to New York City, she doesn't have anything to say. Not even a voiceover. However, returning from New York City somehow managed to really light a fire inside of Laura. Because upon returning to Sleepy Eye, She orders her father to stop the wagon and wait. She negotiates rental terms with a man she has just met, and although she might have overstepped it, she acquired a building in Adam's hour of need. Who's taking control of her life? Laura. And speaking of who needs a little control in their life, let's welcome Parsifal Dalton. His arrival in the Prairieverse is the one major takeaway that I did take from Alison Argrid's autobiography, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch. And wowzers, talk about a little powerhouse. He gets Harriet to paint Caroline's name on the restaurant's window. That is awesome. I bet you thought I was going to say when he dumps the eggs over Nellie's head. That's great too, but ugh. And yes, I know Mr. Olson has yelled at his wife many times over the seasons, but this, this is someone else standing up to Harriet. And these two only just met not that long ago. And being aware of the future they're going to share in season seven, yes, That's a spoiler I'm well aware of. So seeing Nellie smiling about a boy, 
that she doesn't have to bribe with candy. I'm excited for Nellie. And I have to say, Percival is definitely going to be an upgrade from Nellie's first husband. And speaking of first, let's talk about this week's little house moment, which goes to Laura when she shares her thought and her feeling about Almanzo's absence. It only seems like yesterday, but it was really two seasons ago, when Mary threw herself down on the bed, sobbing about being dumped by John Jr. and saying, I'll never be happy again. Love is too painful and nothing makes sense anymore. So, following in her big sister's footsteps, Laura takes it to the next level when she lies there in bed and says, I wanna die. The emotional highs and lows of being a prairie teenager. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. This episode. This episode. This episode was great. Ah, oh, it had it all. Marriage proposals, family quarrels, ultimatums, death, travel to distant lands, drama, of course, plenty of drama, growth of character, dilemmas, being resolved, introduction of new characters, rebranding. Ah, this episode was great. Other than Amonzo concealing the fact that he was leaving to work somewhere else after just recently getting a raise, this episode was fantastic. So, as you might be picking up from my enthusiasm, we are going to give this episode, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, Part 1, a 5 bonnet rating. You know, when Caroline says Almanzo is not bright, I have to agree with her a little bit on that one. Oh, and did you see Albert? Looking back through my notes, he didn't say anything in this episode. And those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode, and I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and Instagram is how you can contact me. We're getting down to that final episode, and once again, once that's done, I'll be taking a slightly longer than usual break before starting season seven in the new year. If you haven't done so already, hit that like or subscribe button, so that way, when that episode does drop, you'll be the first to know. I will not go completely silent for that entire time. I will still continue to post some things on the Instagram account, as well as a nice bonus episode during the holiday season to help get us ready for phase three in the Prairieverse, Laura's adult years. So come back next week where we'll be going over season six final episode, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, part two. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.
Thank you.